Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Kat Dunkel, who after her near-death experience, went from an angry atheist to a believer in God. Kat, thank you for joining me today and welcome. Yes, thank you, Jeff, for having me. I always appreciate uh, being able to share and hopefully to help people understand that they don't have to fear dying. And that's something I think everybody does fear. You know, I grew up in a home uh, where very little religion was taught or anything. Um, My mother was a Catholic, but we very seldom went to church. And certainly my father never did either. So, God was something I just kind of believed in as a child because everybody else did. I also believed in the tooth fairy and a lot of things that I later on in life decided uh, wasn't the right thing. So as I grew up, like I said, my parents both drank a lot. Home life was not pleasant at all. And uh, it was just a a very, very difficult journey for me. Um, But as I grew into my teen years and started recognizing that life was different, uh, my father was transferred all over the United States, and uh, in that, I was always going to a new school, and new schools always had different curriculums, and so it was very difficult to learn. Uh, most things I learned in life were self-taught, and uh, you, you go to school, and it's just like looking at Greek, because they're totally teaching something that I hadn't ever seen before, so I had self-doubts. I became very self-conscious and always walking into, I don't know if you ever had to walk into a new classroom where everybody did, but it's a frightening experience as a kid. And uh, everybody's staring at you. And if you're from another state or something, they think you talk funny when they said things like y'all and <laughs> and I didn't. So uh, that would single you out. Again, adding more self loathing to myself or I'm different and I'm not the same as the rest of the kids. And so that was always hard. And I started questioning whether God really existed when a friend of mine was in a car wreck. Uh, His name was Stephen and uh, he died. And uh, we're going to his funeral here. This was 16 years old. Uh, He was just like a plastic doll. You know, it wasn't really him. And uh, it looked like him and everything. But I thought, where did he go? You know, where do you go when you die? What's going to happen when I die? I think it was the first time I'd really thought about mortality or or what happens life after death. You just kind of at that age, you you know, you're, you know, nothing's ever bad going to happen to you. So I finally started doubting God and starting wondering why my life wasn't like the other kids and why I wasn't like the other kids. And so uh, my faith in God just was dwindling. And I tried to believe in God. I wanted to, and I was frightened. I wanted to believe somebody was in control of something somewhere. And uh, I wanted so badly. So I went to every church I could find. I don't care what it was, a Holy Rollers or whether, you know, whatever, anybody that would Give me one shred of hope or evidence, and I couldn't find anybody. I looked and looked and looked for several years, actually. 
and uh, finally just gave up and thought, you know, this is it. When the lights go out, the lights go out and just finally learned to accept that. And uh, I did not believe in God. Well, I jumped into a marriage, a very bad marriage, uh, very young. I was 17 years old. And uh, by the time I was 21, I had two little babies, two little kids and was married to an alcoholic, who I, absolutely abusive alcoholic that I detested. I don't think I ever really loved him. I had never felt love in my entire life or what that felt like. And while I was married to him, I went out into the living room. I remember looking up at the Kansas sky and saying, you know, God, if you're really up there, if you really exist, then would you just give me one year of knowing what it's like to feel love and to be loved and uh, and love somebody else? And, and uh, just one year of happiness, being happy. What is that? And uh, but I just turned away from the window that night because I knew God didn't exist. And, you know, uh, so it wasn't long after that. I just packed my two sons up in an old beat up uh, uh, car and we took off from Kansas City where I was living uh, to Seattle, Washington where I had family, but uh, when I got there, uh, that wasn't going to work out. So I ended up in government housing and we didn't have food to eat. We didn't have uh, furniture. We slept in sleeping bags on the floor by a gas heater thing that heated the whole unit where we stayed. And there was a little pilot light there and we got our sleeping bags and we'd curl up there and pretend that was our campfire and we were camping. So, you know, we'd run through the house and play games. There was nothing to break. So you'd scream and yell and have a good time, go to the library and buy books and read. And so we found ways to be happy and we were. It was much better than the situation I had left in Kansas City. So anyway, uh, the boys and I, I got a job finally and was able to put together furniture and a nice little place for us there and uh, found a nice lady to watch my boys. And uh, uh, at this job, I had actually started the first customer satisfaction uh, business or thing in, in the entire United States. I started calling up customers at a car agency, people that bought cars or had their cars serviced. And back in the 60s, that was a really shaky business. I mean, it was it was bad news. And uh, I would call these people up and ask them if they were happy with the service they got. They thought I was a big joke. I mean, are you kidding me? You, they, you don't car agencies don't do anything like this. Well, I found out all sorts of information and I took it to the owner and he was, oh my God, this is wonderful, you know? And so he made me a manager. I didn't make any more money. And, and back then women did not make a lot of money. And so, uh, but I had a title and I got to drive a brand new car as a manager. So, uh, but this was the start of customer satisfaction. There wasn't any JD Powers Award of Excellence and there wasn't any, uh, anything of that sort. Nordstrom's hadn't even talked about customer satisfaction at that point. So this was actually the beginning of, of all these people that are calling you up and asking if you're happy with things. <laughs> all started there in Seattle, Washington, back in the early 60s. And uh, so I, a lady that I worked with came to me one day and she said, I've got just the man you're going to marry. And I go, no, I'm not getting married ever again. That was the last thing on my agenda. And, uh, but I, for some reason went, uh, uh, said, okay. And, and this uh, voice called me that, that night 
wanting me to go skeet shooting. And I thought, you know, I don't know what a skeet is and I didn't want to kill one, but <laughs> I agreed for some reason. And, uh, but it snowed thankfully the next day and we couldn't go kill the skeet. So uh, actually a skeet is a little clay pigeon that you shoot up in the air. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we didn't do that, but I met Dawn and we saw each other every single day for uh, 27 days. And on the 27th day, a friend of his, a man that he worked with, came in where we were sitting and uh, said, what is it going to take for you? He was so drunk, he couldn't even stand up, but he wanted to know what it would take for us to get married. And Don leaned over the table and he said, well, if we had $200, we'd go to Reno and get married tonight. Well, back then, $200 was the same as $5,000 today. So, uh, and I was shocked. I mean, I knew I was feeling love for the first time in my life towards Don, and it scared the scared the heck out of me because I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I, I just felt this love for him. I knew it was love, but I just, it was amazing. So it was in February in uh, February 9th, we headed to Reno, Nevada with the, the check that his drunk friend wrote for him, $200. And, and we were married uh, in 28 days after knowing each other. And he was like this dream. I mean, he was so handsome and he was so sweet and so nice and kind. And in his house, he had uh, boxes of, of crystal and china, the things that he'd bought in the Navy when he was there. And uh, just the life could have been better. The boys had a, a daddy and life was so wonderful. Well, then uh, my husband had just bought a, a tavern a few months before we uh, it, it happened really quickly. He was in real estate and had a fairly decent job. Um, but the tavern scared me because of alcoholic parents, because of being married to an alcoholic. I didn't want any part of it, but uh, I, I knew it was his dream to have his own business. So I let him go. Well, I never worked in the a tavern except for on Monday nights, we had a crab feed and it was a big affair, just packed full of people. So I worked that night. So I left the boys this one April 9th, April 6th, and I left the boys and went to work that night. And uh, as I walked in the door, Don was intently listening on the phone, and I couldn't figure out why he'd be talking on the phone. The place was packed. It was so busy. And he let down the phone and came over and grabbed my arm and took me out the door saying things that I just didn't comprehend, that Mark, my middle son, had been hit by a car. And uh, I, he said it was on Roxbury Street. I knew the cars went very fast on Roxbury Street. Uh, we got to the hospital just the same time as the ambulance pulled up and they took Mark out of the ambulance and he was just lying there very still. And uh, the doctor came running out asking, how did this happen? How did this happen? And I, I didn't know how it happened. I we didn't know. So we were led to a room an hour after excruciating hour went by and uh, we heard all the voices of the hospital, code red, code red, and they'd rush into Mark's room and they came out and asked if we would call a priest. And I was so angry. I didn't believe in God at all anyway. And I was shook and I said, no, don't send a priest in there. They're working on Mark. I don't want the priest bothering them. And so the priest came and he went in anyway and he put the, shut the door right in my face practically. And I, I just was yelling at him, don't go in there. I don't want you to do there. You know, Mark's going to be fine. 
anyway, uh, we were walking down the hall the next morning and looking out the window at cars going by and the lights coming on and houses. We thought, how how can they just be normal? I mean, did they not know that there's a life slipping away here and, and new life being born and another little child dying? And uh, I heard footsteps coming down the hall and I didn't want to turn around because I knew what was going to be said. And it was the doctor saying that they couldn't save Mark. We went into his room and he was so cold and I took the covers and and put them up over close to him to keep him warm and and there was a tear in his eye and I told him as a marking don't don't cry because mommy's here as if mommy could make things all fine and I could make everything okay for him and uh so then we we left the hospital and uh life after that changed drastically I was angry I was angry and people would try to to pacify me by saying that he was with Jesus now. And I would scream at them, what does your Jesus need with my son? You know, I, I just couldn't understand anybody trying to tell me about God because uh, if God existed, I hated him for what he would do about the horrible things in life and killing little children. You're going to tell me there's a God that sees this? And I was just so angry, angry, angry. Well, Don and I, our relationship that had been absolutely perfect for an entire year, just like the vow I made back in Kansas that night out the window, you know, just give me one year of happiness and take my life, devastate me, uh, was coming true. I mean, here my son died, my father dropped dead of a heart attack, and we started going bankrupt in our business. We were making no money. And then when Mark died, we had massive bills from doctors and hospitals and ambulances and also funeral parlor and, and caskets and things that you know just overwhelming hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and we were in our 20s so the pressure of being in debt all mark dying all this happening just made don and i not getting along we were fighting with each other and and I was I would sit in the house day after day after day, just sitting there rocking back and forth. I couldn't leave. I couldn't smile because I felt guilty. Uh, moms aren't supposed to lose their children. And it just uh, it's a devastating effect. Many of your listeners there that have lost children, I, I have such great compassion for you. But uh, I want you to know that uh, that they were are here. They're with you and will be. And and they're fine. Trust me, uh, please. Uh, anyway, we started bickering with one another and Don wanted me to get out of the house. So he took me one night and said, we're going to go to over to our friend's house for the evening. And I started fighting with him. No, I don't want to go. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to smile. I don't want to do that. So as we were leaving the house, we're fighting, we get out to the car, we're arguing more. Pretty soon we're screaming at each other and driving down the street and just screaming, I know the anger and the bitterness and the frustration, everything was just coming out at me and out of me. And 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 Don was uh, telling me that I had to move on and I'm going, move on, I'll never move on. And and I just came across the, the, the uh, bucket seats of our car, just wanting to smash him, to shut him up somehow. And I'm just flailing away at him and tearing at his face. And he took his arm like this to shove me back over to my side of the car and hit me in the side and towards the back. 
And that blow caused caused my liver. Your liver has a sac around it that protects it because it's kind of like jelly. Uh, So the sac protects it. It exploded and blew my liver into several pieces. And I had massive internal bleeding. But back in the 60s, when they don't have MRIs, they don't have CAT scans, uh, you know, we had gotten to the hospital because I was having this horrible, horrible pain. And uh, uh, anyway, when we got to the hospital, they couldn't find uh, didn't know what was wrong with me, but they saw my blood count was dropping drastically. My blood pressure, everything was going down. They came in and he asked me, the doctor asked me how I got the bruise on my back. And I didn't want to tell him because I didn't want them to think Don was a wife beater because he's not. If anything, I was beating him up. So uh, I told him I didn't know, but there was a bruise on my back. So they suspected I had in some type of internal bleeding. And they said, I'd have to go into surgery right away. Well, uh, they took me in the gurney down the hall into the surgery room and uh, all the mask people there leaning over me. And I saw them all around me and started to uh, put the mask over my face. And I knew I should go under, um, but I didn't. And I could see the doctors and the nurses around me. But then things started going black and everything went completely black and I couldn't breathe. And I started to panic because I couldn't get my arms up. They were uh, tied down or uh, was secured anyway for surgery. And I, I but I couldn't breathe and, and everything was black, just total darkness. Uh, and I was struggling so to breathe and just like you're drowning in a lake somewhere, uh, you can't, your, your lungs are bursting and you just have to breathe and you can't. And so I'm in this blackness and I felt myself move through the blackness out the other side of it into a, a cave, I guess, or a tunnel. And all of a sudden I realized I could didn't need to breathe anymore. And I was still felt some panic, but not as much. And then I started moving through this tunnel and I saw my, uh, my husband and my two other sons down below me and they were around what appeared to be a lamp post and they were crying. It was raining and, and they were crying. And I wanted to tell them, don't cry. I'm, I'm fine. Everything's okay. I'm alive. Don't, don't, I'm, it's okay. And I moved on. And as soon as I felt really in my, could tell they were going to be just fine. And I moved on and I saw four human beings in clothes and they weren't angels because they didn't have wings, but they, looked very concerned for me, very, you know, like they were worried for me. And I didn't recognize these people. Um, They could have been distant relatives or something. I don't know. I've heard things like that. So possibly, I just don't know who they were, but they looked very concerned. And I passed by them. and, And then the thought came to me, there is no God. And all of a sudden, this horrendous noise, louder than a freight train was going right through my head and this feeling of a rope burning through the middle of me like it's going 100 miles an hour uh and it almost to me like god was burning out all of the doubt and fear in me i don't know but um why that noise and rope burning i have no idea what the significance of that is other than what i just said uh but then when it just stopped And all of a sudden, I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew God did exist. I mean, I've got my hand right here. And Jeff, you see my hand there, right? I can't, I can tell you that's not my hand or I'm looking at it. Nobody's going to convince me that's not my hand. You know, I knew that much. I knew that I knew God did exist. And it was not any doubt, anything. I just knew it. 
And then I started moving forward again and I saw this brilliant light and that noise came again, just this horrendously loud noise and then burning through the middle of me. And then I started going towards that light, knowing that was heaven. I knew that it was heaven. And, uh, and just as I got almost to there, it was almost like a door or some kind of structure holding the light back. And it's almost got there and the bottom dropped out, just like you're in an elevator and the floor just went and you started dropping down into the darkness. That's what happened. And, and I know, I knew I was in hell. I knew it was in some part of hell. I don't, I think there are different parts of hell, but I know why I was there. And I felt this total separation from God that I just knew existed from heaven, from this feeling of this peace that you cannot explain to anybody, this utopia, this, this feeling of just nothing but joy and, and, and something I can't explain. I, the Bible talks about the peace that passes all understanding. Well, it's way beyond that. I mean, it was incredibly wonderful. So I felt this separation from God, like God didn't even know I was there. Like God didn't even enter into this place. So he wasn't going to save me. Nobody could save me. Nobody cared. Nobody even knew I was there. It was total darkness, totally being completely separated from anything or anybody. I mean, and I knew that I had sent myself there. I had blasphemed God. I had laughed about, joked about God. I did not believe in God. I hated God. All these things I felt in my, I just knew that I had sent myself there, that God didn't send people to hell. He doesn't. He does not send people to hell. And so, I mean, we send ourselves there. I, I That I don't know anything about all of that, but I know that it exists. That's all I know. I could hear others screaming, but nobody really close to me. I could feel pain of burning, but I could not see flames. Everything was totally dark. I felt that sensation of falling continued, and I knew that I would never hit bottom. I'd never die. I'd never commit suicide. I had nothing I could do but to fall into this total darkness. And I know that other people have described hell as seeing demons and all these other things. I did not see any of that. So maybe there's different different parts of hell. I don't know. Maybe I was just in the entryway. I have no idea. But it was more horrible than I anything I could possibly describe. I think the biggest pain and the most horrible thing was the total separation from absolutely everything, being totally 100% alone, falling into darkness for the rest of eternity. And I was screaming out to God, I believe in you, God. I, I believe in you. I know you there. Please save me from this. I was screaming, screaming the whole time. And all of a sudden, it just started spiraling backwards, going backwards, back into the tunnel, back going out to the tunnel. And there in that space, I wanted to stay. I didn't want to come back to life. And I heard this voice say to me, bring people to me. I don't know what that meant, but <laughs> I, as that happened, I felt the will to live of actual will to live a thing enter back into my body. And I came through that and back to being alive. When that happened, when that will to live, which I believe is my spiritual self entered back into my body, I woke up wanting to live. I had that desire 
I'm going to live. I was excited to live at that point. Prior to that, prior to that physical thing happening of that, that spirit entering back into my body or the will to live entering back into my body, prior to that, I would have left my husband, who I loved very much, my children, who I adore, I would have left them to stay in that place for eternity, knowing that they would be there eventually too. But that was how big of a draw it was to stay there with God in that glory, that place that, that nobody could explain. That's how strong it was. But when the will to live entered back into me, when the spirit entered back into my body, I wanted to live then and was excited. So pretty much that's my story. And we lived happily ever after that. I After that, I started having uh, this dream of how to start a business. I started the first customer satisfaction business in the United States and it's still going today. It's called Customer Research Incorporated. And it was a very successful business that gave us a lot of uh, a wealthy way to live. I mean, uh, God has been so good to us, the blessings. But I have spent the last 50 years doing just what I felt God told me to do, and that was to bring people to him. So I, I tell people, yes, God is real. Heaven is real. And unfortunately, hell is real. And those things, I, I explain it a lot deeper in, in a, a book I wrote. But uh, but that's my story. I lived heavily, happily ever after. <laughs> so, Well, Kat, you have an amazing story, and thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you. When you first recognized God was real, did you still have hate for him at that time? No, no, I, I, I didn't have remorse over having the hate. I don't think I felt anything except real just excitement, just to know, to know God really exists. You know, after all those years of, of not believing and not having, um, the faith, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I can remember saying to people, they'd tell me just have faith and I'd say, how do you get faith? I don't know how to get faith. You tell me how to get it then, you know, but I just came then, but I didn't. Uh, yeah. I'm not trying to debate you. I'm just trying to put together. Why do you think that you had that hell experience? Why I had the hellish experience? Yeah. Do you think you were punishing yourself because you had so many years of hating God and, and, or you had maybe a guilty conscience? I don't think I would have had the fervor to really try to keep people from going there or, I don't know. I mean, I think evil is evil and I'm not sure you can ever change that. I, we know that evil exists on this earth and there are evil people. We know that half of heaven left and Satan left heaven, the heavenlies too. And, and so we know there's real pure evil. Evil can't exist with good. And I had to know that hell did exist and it does. And I, uh, the evil cannot live with goodness. It just can't. It, it, it'll mesh together. Um, I wouldn't want to be in a heaven that was full of evil like this earth is. <laughs> you know, some people think this is hell. Well, this is nothing compared to what hell is. And we can always get away from our circumstances. I mean, my sons and I lived in the worst of circumstances. No food, no furniture, nothing. You know, sleeping bags on the floor with cockroaches. And we... You know, we were happy. <laughs> Since your NDE, 
Did you notice that you had any new mental abilities that you didn't have prior, like clairvoyance or something else? I feel people's pain. I, I literally feel their pain. And I could be walking by somebody in a grocery store and I know, I know something terrible's happened. I've actually stopped people. I, I try to say it like in a way that won't frighten them, but you know, that, uh, you know, I don't know if I have the opportunity to say something to them, which I would never have done before or stop on the street, you know, with somebody that is, you can tell is downtrodden or whatever, those types of things. But, um, but that's about the only thing that I changed. I mean, I went 120 degrees and have for 50 years. I've never wavered 50 years. My life has been devoted to this. And, uh, so what did that? I mean, I was a hardcore atheist and angry person. And I went, boom. <laughs> and my husband, I mean, he was so thankful. <laughs> and and uh, people who knew me, um, it was amazing, amazing transformation, amazing. Did you tell people about your experience after it happened or did you wait a while? No, people, because of the directive I had, bring people to me, which I've came from God. I right away told everybody, but I, I didn't bring anybody to God. I scared everybody half to death, you know, telling them my story. So it wasn't until I really got back into uh, trying to find out what God was all about. You know, I went back to the Catholic church and I didn't really learn anything there because it was in Latin and you know, I, I didn't learn anything. I went to another church where they taught about things and I just couldn't get enough, could not get enough. Once I really started opening up my mind and learning that God really is real and taking it from that point rather than prove it to me, you know, I didn't have that attitude. You didn't have to prove anything to me. I knew. So now just teach me, just teach me. And I was just like a sponge. I was just, you know, um, so I did, I right away started telling people about my experience, but I wasn't very good at bringing people to God. <laughs> Just like I say, I was scaring them to death, but, um, and then I tried to write a book about it because I wanted just to document what had happened to me. And I did that, but it was, uh, I rewrote, rewrote that this, this time with an editor and doing it the right way. So, um, so I could have that all down so I wouldn't forget, but I've never forgotten. I mean, I don't prepare for a podcast like this. I just mm -hmm. talk to you from my heart because that's, that's who I am. <laughs> I think that's the best way. I mean, you just share your experience and that's all you need to do really. Right. You are so descriptive and I don't have to ask too many questions because <laughs> you gave us everything, you know? Well, if anybody has any questions, you know, I'd like them to feel free to contact me on my, uh, uh, AOL this, uh, it's T-H-E-K-A-T-137 at AOL.com. And I'd be happy to answer any questions. And and again, my book pretty much tells this whole story and a lot, lot more. I go through the death of a son and death of a child, what is what that true feeling is like and and how I overcame it. Uh, you know, the near-death experience is all the detail in it. So the book is called, Is It Safe to Die? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if you can see this or not, but... Mm -hmm. uh, and Where do we uh, get it? 
It's available on Amazon, but you have to, I, when I Google it, I had to put the word book first. book. Is it safe to die? Because if I just Google, does it safe to die? Google tries to tell you, no, not really. <laughs> so I can't give you all the reasons. So anyway, that's uh, what I did. If somebody came to you who had recently lost a loved one, what kind of advice would you give them? That's really hard because they're in such horrible pain. I don't think there's a pain worse than losing a child because you're not supposed to die before your kids do. And But I would give them hope. You know, I'd hold them and say, I know what you're going through. I've been there. And, you know, I want you to know that it is okay, that you're going to be okay. They're fine. They're fine. They're where they need to be and want to be. And you're going to be together. They're with you. I mean, just believe that in your heart. And it does get better. It does get better. Never forgotten, but it does. It can be a joyful time remembering the beautiful memories that you have with them. So don't, you don't want to ruin that by thinking of the negative and bad things. Would you say that the experience is dreamlike or more real than being here? It was ne- definitely not a dream. I thought about that too. You know, I thought about could it have been drug induced? Uh, I, I was studied for 20 years by a uh, professor, uh, um, Dr. Bruce Grayson. He also wrote a book called Alive. And I'm my story is in his book on page 144. But he studied me for over 20 years. And of course, those were questions I asked him. Uh, he's he spent his whole life studying near-death experiences and doing nothing but that. And he's probably the biggest expert in that field, or one of them for sure. Uh, anyway, uh, I asked him, could it have been drug-induced? He said, no. He said a drug-induced uh, uh, hallucination would have been fragmented things, not a, a sequent events like I had. Uh, also, flashes of light, not not the brilliance that I described. So nothing that I described had anything to do with it being hallucinations or from drug induced. Others have said maybe it was oxygen deprivation. When you're deprived of oxygen, you could go through things. People that drowned have, you know, these beautiful experiences. But um, uh, he he told me that 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 could not have been lack of oxygen uh, wasn't the issue. Uh, I'm sorry, it totally slipped my mind as to why that, but it's in my book. There's a reason why all those things, questions that I had asked him, he was able to answer them. And and I had a lot of questions too. I wanted to dismiss anything that could have uh, negated what I had just gone through. So it definitely was not a dream. It's just as was just as real as I'm sitting here talking to you and uh, just as real as is is anything. It was life. It, it was true. It happened. It was not a dream. Uh, was not the fragmented thing of a dream. And I, I, no, it definitely wasn't a dream. It was just these sequence of events that were, you know, like life would be. Not, not, not anything like a dream. Nothing like that. Has the memory of the experience faded over time? No, no. That's another thing. 
I mean, I, I after 50 years, my brain, uh, you know, of my age <laughs> gets a little fuzzy. But no, that experience, I have to say, is just as powerful and just as real to me as it was then. And uh, the knowledge of, of knowing. And, and like I say, you know, given age and everything, 50 years is a long time. <laughs> so, you know, for that not to have faded, for that not to have uh, grown old, or anything to still have that fervor of the day it happened. That that doesn't happen. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. Do you fear death at all? Oh no, no. And I did. I I did as a as a young adult. But no. And I and there are so many people. I I was just uh, uh, responding to a lady before I came on here. To uh, she's just mortally fearful of dying. She just is constantly on her, her brain and everything, but I don't fear dying. I don't, I don't, I just, uh, I know that there, even if you want to just say this, that there is something out there, if you're not willing to accept the fact that there is a God, or if you're blaming God fall upon earth or to you, you know, God doesn't make those things happen. And we're not puppets that, that God made us with our free will to live life, everybody to live their lives as they want. So the murder and the horrible things that go on you know, on earth are certainly not from, from God induced. And, and could he stop it all? I don't think he'd make a liar out of himself if he did. So, and he's not a liar. So we have this free will to do what we want. And, um, so to not believe in God, I, 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 I couldn't do that. I mean, I, I know it's real. I know it is. So I don't fear death. And I, um, I, I would fear death. Sometimes I get this feeling, have I done anything that could send me to hell? <laughs> you know, and because I, to fear death, I guess would, I would fear that aspect of death. But uh, no, I mean, that's, that isn't because I believe, I believe that that my sins are forgiven. I do believe that. I know that I am a sinner. I mean, I I have done things and still do things that I get feel conviction in my heart about. You shouldn't have done that, you know. And and I usually try to correct it or make it right right away. But I still have evil lurking around in me. <laughs> Ask my husband. <laughs> so anyway, no, I. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't fear that. Do you have a website? I don't have a website. I had one for years and I finally just kind of let it go. But I have my email uh, that I've asked people to go ahead and, and reach me on. And again, in the book, all the information of contacting me there is, is in there. And I want people to feel free to do that. Are you possibly working on another book? I don't think so. This this took me a couple of years <laughs> to write, and uh, and that's my my focus. I don't really have a lot of focus other than the, than doing what I'm doing now, and so that's what I want to put my energy towards is talking to people, um, trying to to take away a lot of the pain, the fears that people have. And, and like I say, to me, the, the most horrible of that would be losing a child, but losing a loved one, losing your job, losing, you know, being told that you have cancer and you're going to die. These things are going on daily. So there's so much to be done, so much hope to give people, you know, to, to steer them through that um, because it can end up beautifully. It can end up 
the most wonderful, glorious thing that could ever happen. Do you have anything else you're working on that you want us to know about? Just this, my just getting the word out. That's that's my like I say, my main focus is is completely one hundred percent that. So I'm available, and it's kept me really busy. I um, I enjoy that, and I, I want to do it. It's a desire of my heart to do this, and so. Um, All right, Kat, before we finish up, can you give us one last positive message? Um, no, but could I pray for you in the audience? Would that be offensive to anybody? Not me. Okay. Well, since it's your show, we'll just go with that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to say a short prayer. It's going to come from my heart. Lord, I just uh, come before you today. Just thanking you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity that Jeff has given us to reach out to people that might be hurting and might have issues today that they're dealing with that they just don't have the answers to. God, I would just ask that you put a special touch in their hearts. Put someone in their lives, Lord, that can lead them to a, a place, a place of worship where they can learn about you, where they can learn how to have the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that you have given me. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for Jeff and the opportunity to be here and for all the listeners that might be listening in today. Thank you. Amen. Kat, thank you for that prayer and thank you for being my guest. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.